0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 369 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the fabulous new book, The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery.
1: How are you, Al? I am okay. Yes, I'm fair to middling and <laughs> trucking along just fine, and that's pretty much all we can hope for at this point in this year, I think. What has been
0: happening in the world of owl? Uh
1: Just the usual stuff, really. Nothing, just owl stuff. Uh, so I've been, I'm doing a lot of end-of-year tidying up of my various things. Remember we talked last week yes. about how I was actively attempting to make more of what I actually have, you know, to kind of like consolidate all the things that I'm doing. Uh, So this week's fun task was going through my um, newsletter uh, subscriber base and cleaning that up in the sense of, you know, making sure that everybody who is subscribed wants to be subscribed and that I have, you know, yeah, just da- data management of can we all just fall over because, like, mm. this is me <laughs> with a spreadsheet. Oh, and Well, yeah, because that's what it is, isn't it? Like effectively, it doesn't matter what you're looking at on that sort of like very pretty, I use MailChimp, um, so there it is, very pretty sort of, you know, facade, but essentially it's a spreadsheet and I am going through the spreadsheet and I'm cleaning it all up. Um, If you would like to add yourself to my newsletter, you can do that via my website at alisontate.com and you too can share the benefit of my monthly updates about it's one various of the best our stuff newsletters
0: so. it's one of the best at writing newsletters around by the way so oh thanks very definitely much. definitely get that. onto it I, I i always enjoy it
1: i think newsletters are very funny things um you know i've had my newsletter for a long time now and you know it's a real blend of stuff for readers and stuff for writers which has been taken me a long time to kind of get to that, that in balance. the sense Yeah, it's been a a real Mm. sort of like, you know, you've obviously been with me on this journey over Mm -hmm. many years um, Mm. of me just going, what am I doing with my life? Um, Which is a general owl sort of place to be. Um, But, yeah, it's taken me a long time to really kind of work that balance out. And I did do some questionnaires over the years of what people were, you know, interested in looking for um, in the newsletter. And I'll probably do another one of those next year, I think, just to see if that's, you know, shifted at all. Because I think it's Mm. always good. I want to be able to give people what they're interested in. So yeah. I think that's, um, that's it's always, it's an ever-changing blend of stuff. Yeah, you put a lot of thought into it. I think it's great. Mm, thank you. Thank mm. you. So you've been doing doing. database
0: management. I know. (laughs) Exciting, isn't it? Exciting.
1: This is why they pay me the big bucks of no bucks (laughs) so people can tune into our podcast to hear me talk about newsletter data management. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. (laughs) What about you, Val? Have you been doing anything more interesting than that?
0: I've also been decluttering, but I spent a lot of time decluttering my art studio and I didn't realise obviously how cluttered it was because Mm. it now looks double the size. (laughs) It hasn't doubled the size, but obviously it was full of so much stuff um, yeah. And it's now a lovely place and no doubt I will start doing more things in it and cluttering it again. So anyway. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we, we decluttered a um, clutter. That's
1: how we roll, Yes,
0: away. it feels good anyway. <laughs> uh, and um, what else has been happening? Goodness me. I'm not that exciting this week. I cooked a roast chicken. That's kind of a big deal in my world. Well, you've, been, you've become a
1: bit of an expert at the roast chicken, haven't you? Yes, oh, we did it start- different
0: this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Hold everything. I stuffed your jalapenos up its up it? up skin and stuff. Yeah. Up its stuff Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was well, that. Up was... anything.
1: Was that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I just shoved it wherever I could found, find a cavity. <laughs> oh, Lord.
2: I don't even want to think about that.
1: Was it? Uh, did the jalapenos make a massive difference to your roast so chicken?
0: So good, life? yes. I'm going to do that from now on. I was doing lemon before, um, but hey, everyone, this isn't so. You want to be a master chef? Not that
1: I even come close. Uh, this is so you want to be a writer. So we we'll move on to the okay, world. So we won't of- talk about we won't talk about how smug I am about my new. Smeg stove then. We'll do that next time. Oh, my God.
0: Really? I know. That's
1: fancy. Yeah. No, it's really like it's super fancy because I have had for the last, you know, 10 or odd years that I've been living in the old girl, I have had this thing that honestly is just like a joke and we laugh about it, Uh, Mm. Bookboy and I laugh about the fact that every time we – put anything in the oven you have to kind of allow for the 20 to 25 degrees that it's slow so if you if you had to cook it at you know 220 you've got to put it in at the full 250 blast otherwise there's there's nothing um so now I have this highly responsive thing that looks like it could take off to the moon and it's that's awesome revolutionized my life I haven't quite worked out how to use it properly yet but I'm getting there it's all very exciting anyway let's move on that's that we I think we've covered off cooking okay cooking, and yep. now okay. we can move on to writing
0: let us move on to the fact that you have some time not too much time for your chance to win a $20,000 prize and be published by Penguin Random
1: House Australia wow. so it is the, I, I, and I would just like to say that I will wholly endorse the experience of being published with Penguin Random House Australia because yes. I am published by them and it is it's been great, brilliant. Yes, yes.
0: So it is the Penguin Literary Prize, started in 2017. And in fact, regular listeners will know that Imbi Neem, who was in episode 335, uh, she is a previous winner of the prize for her book The Spill. Yes, so very. And she very... talked in that
1: episode at length about how that competition changed her. life. Oh, yes, yeah. so um, good. So if you would also like your life changed, you need to enter, but you have only until the 15th of December. Mm. So I am seriously hoping that you have a complete unpublished manuscript all polished up with a synopsis mm. and a pitch that you are over 18 and you are an Australian resident and you are yes. ready to go. Well, and if you don't have a synopsis and pitch, just write one.
0: Hurry up. Giddy up. <laughs> Giddy up, baby. All right. So um, so that's the Penguin Literary Prize. Get onto it. All right. And you have a link for us, Al.
1: I do. Um, so this is a, a link, a post that I put on my website uh, no, a little minute ago. Uh, it's called 10 Writing Tips You Can Start Using Today. Now, yeah. what I have done here, people, is I have gone through the last – I don't know, I can't even remember, maybe 50-odd episodes of the podcast and I've pulled out the most interesting tips that I could find that are actually really practical that you can start today that are beyond read a lot, write a lot, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, in my role as co-host of this podcast, do I Hmm. not only give out helpful writing tips but I also hear a lot of writing tips and when Mm. I hear something that is a little bit different when I do those interviews um I I do sit up a little bit straighter and I do take note and so uh this particular post is a little bit of a roundup of 10 of the of the best ones that I have heard in the last sort of 50 odd episodes um one of them which I thought was great, was to set a rejections goal. Now, this was from Curly Saunders, um, Mm. a picture book author, poet, uh, and it was from episode 306, and she talked about the fact that a friend of hers, who uh, Christy Wan, who is a poet and photographer, uh, told her that when she started out, that she needed to set a rejections goal and it kind of yeah. sounds counterintuitive, but you need to set a goal with a number of rejections that you want to achieve in a year. And as she said, you know, like Curly was like, why would I do that? Like, mm. And Christy said, because then we can go out for a wine and celebrate the fact that you've been submitting to things.
2: Mm.
1: So Curly set a goal for 10 rejections a year uh, so she had to submit to 10 competitions or writing awards or whatever and she found that it was a very, very good motivator for actually writing because, okay, you know, things don't get picked up but things also do get picked yes, up. So absolutely. I think that it's uh, – I, I really liked the the kind of, you know, about face of that particular tip.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I like it. It's cool. Um, yeah. And lots of fantastic uh, other tips as well. One from Gus Gordon, uh, who is the author-illustrator of Finding Francois. Uh, he, We spoke to him in episode 338 and he said, get to know other writers, people from the bottom of the food chain all the way up. Go to things and get to know people who are doing exactly the same thing that you're doing. Now, the thing is, it's sometimes to some people it might seem counterintuitive because writing is a solitary exercise. And you mm. might think, well, I don't actually need anyone to help me in my writing but I completely agree with Gus as I know you would as well that having that network around you is so important not just for support and if you're so confident that you'd feel that you don't need support that's great but it's more than just support it's also the connections that you make that you don't know organically can lead to something fabulous so you're missing out a lot if you're not bothering to develop a network of writers
1: Absolutely, Mm. and I really liked. So there's a couple. uh, A couple in there are the ones that really stood out for me. Uh, One of them was from Catherine Kovacic, who is the author of the Shifting Landscape, uh, art Mm. mystery series. uh, In episode three, three, four, we had a great chat. Actually, that was a really, really fun one. Um, Mm. But her tip was, if there's a problem, go backwards. and i think that this is something that i do kind of intuitively as well if you hit a snag in your story if you get to a point where things can't go forward or thing you know things are just not working out for you go back if there's a problem it usually means it started a few pages ago or a chapter ago or there's something that you've forgotten to put in sort of like chapter 2 that you need for chapter 7 or chapter 8 mm. so Catherine finds that if she hits a snag, she goes backwards rather than trying to work out the problem on the spot or trying to work it out by going forwards. Go back, work out where things started to fall apart, fix that bit. And you will find that the whole story going forward is going to have a much, much stronger foundation. So I think that that was a great tip. And then um, E. Lockhart, uh, Emily Lockhart, uh, from she's the author of Again, Again, Episode 336, Just Write It Stupid. Oh, I really like that. Oh, lots of people. That was one that was talked about a lot in the Facebook group and also on social media. Um, It was advice from her father who is a playwright and it means don't worry about writing the great American or great Australian novels. Don't even worry about writing anything that's halfway decent. Just write the thing. Write the stupid Mm. version of the thing and then you can go back and fix it later. And this is something that you and I discuss a lot, maybe not in quite that sort of succinct a fashion (laughs) Um, but because we probably get sidetracked by a smug. Megs, but like I you know write the thing, just just get it on the page and um, keep moving with it, even if it feels like even if you 're sitting there thinking, this is the worst thing that anyone has ever put on paper, which I often feel, just keep working through it because there 's a couple of things that happen. Often, by the time you get to the end of it and you go back and you read it, it's not as bad as you thought it was because a lot of it comes from that self doubt and that lack of confidence that we all have, everyone experiences. So, often it's not as bad as you thought it was. But, you know, it's like I say to kids when I go to the go to schools and do my writing workshops and things you know it's it's not brain surgery the brilliant thing about writing is that you don't have to get it right the first time you can go back and fix it it's all in your hands you get to control it you know it's like if it's on the page it's the only thing you can control about the entire publishing process is what goes on that page and it's fixable like it's you know there might be some incredibly heavy lifting to do sometimes to take you know the stupid to something that's submittable but nonetheless Mm. you've got something there to work with and you can fix it and so I think that was really great advice too so it's look it's a really um that those 10 writing tips I think are all great and some of them are um you know a little bit different I think from what we hear all the time and those are my favorite kinds of tips where you really feel like you've got a nugget Yes. So go, back, go and have a look at the post. It's on com. It's called yeah. 10 Writing Tips You Can Start Using Today. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I really recommend that you, you know, follow up and listen to the whole episode from those people because sometimes we don't listen to them because we think, oh, she writes picture books and poetry and that's not oh, what I do. Biggest mistake. Biggest, biggest mistake. Listen hmm. to all of them because yes. everybody's going to give you some Absolutely. different little one thing that you're going to think, oh, wait a minute, wow, okay,
0: yeah, I often right. learn the most useful things from people outside of my industry or, or genre or, you know, the the most unexpected places. So, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I
1: just think being curious about what other people do and the and the craft of different types of writing or the different yes. types of, of everything um, is one of the greatest gifts that you can have as a writer is, is just that curiosity, I think.
0: Hmm. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. It is a cracker. So we have a 10 book pack giveaway. Wow. So one winner will score themselves this beautiful bounty of bookish delights filled with <coughs> 10 titles from a range of genres.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't write that. Text. No, That's I didn't write
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 10 titles from a range of genres, perfect for holiday reading to fill up your bookshelf or as excellent gifts or re gifts. <laughs> mm. <laughs> titles include some great books from authors we have interviewed on the podcast this year. Now, these include. Reprehensible by Mikey Robbins. That's such a cracker. Um, the Shearer's Wife by Fleur MacDonald. The Other Side of the Sky by Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner. Polly by Paul Dalgano. A Tale of Witchcraft by Chris Colfer. Yes, you know from Glee. Uh, when I Come Home Again by Caroline Scott. Desire Lines by Felicity Volk. Tell Me Why by Archie Roach. The Details by Tegan Bennett Daylight. And The Safe Place by Anna Downs. All fabulous. Um, and they're all in this awesome book pack so all you need to do is go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions so entries close on the 21st of december so what a great thing to um get for christmas so that's writercenter.com.au slash win now (laughs) al are you ready for the word of the week Oh, Val, I couldn't be more excited. Oh, good. So it's a cracker. It's Zygma, Z E U G M A, Z-E-U-G-M-A. Zygma. Mm-hmm. Mm. You Are know sure? that one? I don't know
1: that one. <laughs> um, uh-huh. No, I don't know that one.
0: <laughs> okay. This is such a cool word. It sounds like a type of Greek cheese or maybe an alien from Star Wars. And, you know, like my... Deep desire, if it was ever humanly possible one day, is to go to the Star Wars Cantina. Because, you know, doesn't everyone? Anyway, just an aside. No, but okay.
1: <laughs> so I'll go uh, with you Z- if you really want to go there. All right? Oh yes, yes.
0: But actually it's a very literary word, Zygma. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, it is when a verb is associated with two subjects or objects in an unexpected way. For example, her actions stained her honour and her dress. Or I have lost my keys and my mind. <laughs> Zygma. Well,
1: Cool word, huh? My entire life is a Zygma of some kind, I think. That's really interesting. Yes, Her I actions like it. stained her honour and her dress. <laughs> yes. Like what? Interesting example. I'm not even
0: going. There. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course will help you find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love. You'll also have your very own tutor providing personalised feedback on your writing. Here's what Catherine Pelosi says.
3: When I first decided I wanted to write, I was actually living in the UK, and I just all of a sudden started thinking about stories and writing. I thought, wow, I'd really like to write for children, but I had no idea how. So when I came back to Sydney, I was like, I need to find out how to do this, and I found the course Writing for Children and Young Adults at the Australian Writers' Centre and I enrolled and it was brilliant from the start. It was just like entering this whole world of like magic and happiness and I've never left because it's just so great learning about writing and children's books. For me, the most useful part of the course was learning about all the different components of storytelling. You might have an idea, but how do you actually put it all together? And there's so many different elements. Learning all the technical side, is there's a lot to it. The presenter at the um, course was really supportive and I think also being uh, with other writers, other aspiring writers, is really important because you need that community. Writing can be quite isolating. You're often just at your computer typing away. So um, I've met people through the course I've done at the Australian Writers' Centre and kept in touch. So it's a great way to find your writing buddies as well. When I found out that I was being published, it was the best feeling ever. I've been happiest day I can remember so far. It was really, really exciting. Uh, If I think back to when I first did the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, which was my first sort of entry into writing for children, to the moment I got published, it's sort of unbelievable that it happened. An awesome feeling. Now I can call myself a children's book author, which is amazing. And I have my first book coming out, Quark's Academy, and I've signed two more book deals. I would say if you want to do a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, definitely do it.
0: To find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. All right, now let's move on to our writer in residence. Who have we got this week, Al?
1: Oh, this week we are talking to Leon Tanner and it was a fantastic conversation she is a um, like international best-selling uh, you know author of a lot of sort of fantasy adventure stuff for kids um, including the rogues the keepers like she, and also award-winning picture books Ella in the ocean like she's a she's a very 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 clever lady um and we were talking like, here's a here's a conversation you don't expect to have we were talking about her new book uh, which is is called A Clue for Clara and is about a chicken who Mm. is a detective it's a middle grade novel uh, about a chicken who is a detective and so we had a a great old chat about detectives and mysteries and and all that kind of stuff and how in the world one comes up with the idea of turning a chicken into a detective um Mm. so it's a really good chat have a listen Lian Tanner is the best-selling author of three middle-grade fantasy adventure series, including the Rogues Trilogy, the Keepers Trilogy, and the Hidden Icebreaker series. She is also the author of the award-winning picture book, Ella and the Ocean. Her latest middle-grade novel, A Clue for Clara, is out now with Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the program, Lynn.
2: Thanks, Alison. I love the way you said a clue for Clara.
1: Well, I was going for the chicken vibe. I know, I, I
2: know, and, I know <laughs> and you did it so beautifully.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure our our, um, our listeners will be very interested to hear about why I was going for a chicken vibe. But we'll talk about that in a little while. To start with, um, let's go back to the beginning. Can can you tell us your publishing origin story? How did your first book come to be published?
2: Oh gosh. Um, my first book was actually a little book called Rats okay. uh, that came before I started writing fantasy adventure. I I was I've, re- I've written like most writers I've written all my life. You know you you start writing at about seven or eight and and just keep going. Um, but I got to the point where I really wanted to do more with it, and I was experimenting in a whole lot of different areas. I was doing a bit of freelance journalism. I was writing short stories for magazines, all that sort of stuff. And what I started to have success with was short stories for children that I was selling to school magazine in New South Wales. And one of those short stories started to turn into a novel. And I, I I talk about it. I, I call it my practice novel because really I wrote it to see if I could get a novel published, and so I didn't I didn't really use my own voice as a writer. I wrote I used what I thought would be an acceptable voice for a publisher. Uh, I made it you know the book was fairly short and fairly funny, and when I'd finished it, I applied uh, I applied for a, a mentorship. Uh, and uh, with a published author, Gary Crewe, and I got it oh. and uh, And he then introduced me to his publisher at the time that was Lothian and uh, and it was I wanted to take that shortcut, you know, because I'd submitted stuff to publishers before, and sometimes it took them six months or a year to get back to me. Mm. And so I just wanted to speed that up a bit, and I thought, well, the way to do it is to is to get a personal introduction. And I got it, and uh, the the people at um, at Lothian liked the book and they agreed to publish it. So that was my first book. And then once I saw that, yes, I can get published. After that, my next book was uh, Museum of Thieves. And I thought, okay, this I'm going to write what I love, which is fantasy, uh, and I'm going to write it in my own voice.
1: So when you so when you work you. Wrote rats. Now that was not easy for me to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were you uh, working at the time? I mean, what was the what? You know, was that just something that you sort of started doing in your spare time, or had you decided at that point to devote time to it?
2: I had been working as an actor. I'd been working as an actor with a small theatre and education company in Tasmania, and I had started writing short plays for for the company. Uh, and that sort of made me realise that I really liked writing for children, and so when I left there, I thought, I want to, um, I want to devote more time to this. So I ended up getting a part-time job, uh, just three days a week, so that I could then write two days a week. So you know, like that. Uh, the idea of writing full-time was very much there in my head, but I had no idea if it was possible or not. So, But three days of work and two days of writing seemed like a really nice compromise to me.
1: Mm. Um, so when you set out to write your first fantasy adventure, was the process different for you? Did it feel different? And did you find it easy to kind of find your own voice having written your first novel kind of in a writerly way?
2: Oh gosh that's that's all fairly complicated um mm. I have found that the first time with pretty much everything is like a gift and the second time round you have to work out how you did it <laughs> so um and that is the hard part mm. you know that's that's the incredibly hard part is working out how you did it so so rats kind of came as this kind of little gift Um, out of the ether I mean I'm not saying it was an easy thing to write but I I wrote it blindly I had no idea how I was doing it Um, and I didn't know when I sat down to write Museum of Thieves I I just had no idea how how to go about it Uh, so writing Museum of Thieves was this massive learning process about how I go about sitting down to write a book Right. And how how I go about doing it deliberately, you know, because because the first time you do something, it, it's it's almost accidental. You, you you don't take notice of the process. Mm. So um, I had to figure out how do I how do I generate ideas? How do I figure out structure? How do I uh, how do I work on characters? I, Museum of Thieves. I, I reckon I went through about twenty drafts right. before I before I finished Museum of Thieves, and I. Um, I, it, I wrote it over three years uh, and that was writing part-time right. um, and I went and over that three years I had so many times when I thought I'd finished the book and and I hadn't you know so right. so I'd, I'd get it to a certain point and I'd think right this is it this is fantastic I love this Um. and I'd put it aside for a while and I'd come back to it and realize that actually it was pretty awful and or I'd get some feedback on it. So I, I went through a number of stages where I got feedback on it, and again, you know, it was at the stage where I thought it was really wonderful. And at one stage, when, and this was after about two years, I think, I had a chance to get some feedback from somebody who knew a lot about the publishing industry. And he was down in Tasmania and he was talking to authors and we would send in our first three or four chapters and um, and he'd, you know, talk to us about it. Um and he was the bloke from Varuna Writers House in the oh, Blue Mountain. Yeah. And uh, so he had a lot of credibility. And I was so excited, you know, like, because I, I was so confident in the book by then. And um, so I sent, sent in these three chapters and I went into the interview and I was I was having all these daydreams about it, you know, this is, this is going to be fantastic. And, and I had this little fantasy about how I was going to walk in the door and he was going to say, Leon, Leon, this is brilliant. I love it. Um, I've already talked to a couple of publishers about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We all have that dream, don't worry. (laughs) We all have
2: that dream, yes. So I walked in the door and I sat down and we sort of said our hellos and then he said, well, I love the title. (laughs) And that was it. That was it. And then he went on to tell me all this stuff that just wasn't working and how I was starting it in the wrong place and oh, just so much stuff, and I, I just went away in despair. Um, but then uh, it's always that thing, isn't it? You know, you. I, I think I've I've learnt this over the years that you get criticism like that, and you think, oh my God, my life is over. Um, I can't bear it. I'm never going to write another thing. But. When you actually go back and look at what they said, Mm. it starts to make sense. You know, once you've got over that initial gut reaction of despair, um, what they and and you genuinely and honestly look at what they said, and you go, "Oh, right, yes, actually, actually, he was right," Um, and that was what boosted it. To its next stage, and that stage was when it really started to become what it ended up as, uh, and and it and it made this massive leap. You know, sort of the the stakes were so much higher, and the and the antagonist was so much worse, and all that sort of stuff. And and I think this was something I really had to learn was to push the story further than I initially thought it should go, right. because quite often it, those initial thoughts they are they are not what the story needs to be. The initial thoughts so often don't go far enough and the stakes just, you know, aren't as high as they could be. So it was it was an immensely valuable thing. It was dreadfully painful but it was immensely valuable.
1: It's true though, isn't it? Because I think often um, your first draft in particular with the stakes and things, there's always a lot more polite. You're a lot nicer to your characters. Yeah. You know, you sort of – did you um, – was this something that you read a lot, this this type of, of story, the fantasy adventure? Like is it is that why you chose to write that?
2: Oh yes, look, I, I adore fantasy. I've always adored fantasy. And and I think um I like I like that sense of immersing myself in another world. Mm. Uh, and I also like the sense that things can twist away a little bit from reality you know so you're not you're not chained to reality things can go in really unexpected directions and and that's always been one of my favorite one of my favorite genres so i'm not i'm not so mad on on the really high fantasy with mm. with you know high kings and queens and and wizards and dragons and all that sort of stuff that's not really so much what i like to read although there is some really good stuff in that but what i love is stuff that could almost be our world, but there's this slight difference. You know, there's there's this, it's almost like you could be walking down the street and then suddenly step into this world, and at first you almost wouldn't realize that you'd stepped into it until these you started to see slightly odd things out of the corner of your eye. So that's that's the sort of fantasy that really, really appeals to me.
1: What do you think is the key then to creating an immersive world like that? Like when you're – do you do you create your worlds in detail before you begin? Do you start with a character? And then how do you build out that world as you draft? or?
2: Mm. No, I, I, I certainly don't create the whole thing before I start. I, I, I don't do 20 drafts these days but I still do quite a few drafts, sort of maybe five, maybe six, um, and – the world develops during those drafts. So, my first draft, in both character and world, tends to be a bit cartoony uh, and and very, you know, tends tends to be very flat. Mm. And as I write, uh, as I write that first draft, and then it, I start to, I uh, I try and let myself be loose enough. It's for me, it's a matter of not thinking too much and letting letting myself write loosely enough that unexpected things can happen mm. and it's when those unexpected things happen both with the world and with the character that it starts to flesh out mm. you know so so i might be writing something and suddenly somebody says something about the seven gods, or something like that, and I think, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> um, but I follow it. You know, I, I try and let myself be loose enough to follow it. Uh, so I uh, uh, this this is a bit of a swerve away from that, but it, but it is relevant. I um, used to plot very right. very strongly before I wrote, um, and some now sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. I always plot to some extent. But I've found that if I plot too much no, I found that no matter how much I plot, unexpected things will still happen during the writing if I let them. Right. Uh, and and that is one of the delights of it. You know, it's it's um when I was writing the third book in the rogues trilogy, it was a book that I probably plotted more intensively than I have ever plotted anything before. And yet unexpected things still happened and some of those unexpected things were the most beautiful things in the book and were the things that I ended up most pleased with and most intrigued with. And so it's yes, it's like I said, it's it's a matter of letting myself be letting myself be loose enough in my writing, letting myself be unconscious enough in my writing, uh, letting what I've heard described as the girls in the basement uh, speak up. Uh, in unexpected moments. I really like that. Isn't it a lovely term? It's I, so I, true though, isn't it? Just, it is. Yeah, it's it, so it's, true. Yeah, it's just so true. And you've got to make that space for them. Even when you're in the middle of writing something, you've got to allow that space for them because that's when the valuable stuff comes and that's when both that's when characters become their most individual uh, and it's when the world becomes its most intriguing, when you let those girls speak up.
1: Do you always know that you're writing series? Like did you know with the Museum of Thieves it was a series? Or...
2: No, I didn't. No, ah, no, okay. I didn't. Uh, not at all. It was going to be a standalone. Uh, and I got to the end of it and I thought, wow, I, I don't want to stop. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't had enough of these people. I haven't had enough of these characters or this world. And so I, I wrote uh, an afterward, an epilogue. Um, and that allowed the possibility of it keeping going, and that's kind of—I mean, I've almost done that with each book, with each with each series. Oh, Although yes. the rogues, the rogues, I did set out to write as a trilogy, uh, so I, you know, I knew that there was a an overarching um, a shape to it before I started it. But the other two, I, I basically set out to write a standalone, and then couldn't bear to leave them. And I think that's that's partly—I mean, it's partly because. And you must find this too—that that you get so incredibly fond of your characters yes. over the course of a book. You know, yes. you you get to know them so well, and you get to love them. It, you know, the, including the 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 nasty ones, including the antagonists, and including the villains. Uh, you you just become so close to them, and you want to keep. You want to find out what happens to them next. So that's a part of it. But it's also that once you've got that first book, um you've got already got so much of your second and your third book because you've got the world you've got the rules of the magic uh, that that happen you've got the basic characters and and what they love and what they hate and what they're afraid of and and so it seems like such a waste not to not to keep going you know it, as well as loving them you, you you want to see what happens
1: so what is it that it draws you to that middle grade audience in particular like what what is it about writing for that group that you know is is kind of why you put your stories in that space
2: look I'm not entirely sure uh it's it's this it's the the age group that my writing seems to automatically fall into Mm. um it's I mean, I've, I've extended a bit since then so I've got, a pic, got the picture book and yep. that's that was a really interesting and different thing to do. But certainly middle grade is, is my main audience. I have this theory that all children's authors have a time in their life when that was a particularly rich time or when something extraordinary happened or something like that and that, that time, that age group, is kind of where they still are in their head. Um and that, for me, was was that middle group, middle middle group. Um, so the grade three, four, five, six. You know, that was that was when I really got into reading, really got into books, mm-hmm. round about grade three. Uh, and that was when books became so incredibly important to me. So by grade four, I was I was just reading nonstop, and same with grade five and grade six. So I think there's there's a part of me that is still that age. And that is the that is the part of me that I write for, the that child who has discovered books and adores them and, and is obsessed by them. Uh, so, I, you know, that, that's my theory, that we all have that part of us um, and that all children's authors, for all of us, the child is still so strong within us. And what that's who we write for.
1: What do you think of to- defines a middle grade story? Like when you're writing your novels, are you thinking about language choices, themes, characterization in a particular way for this audience? Like is there or are you just writing the story?
2: A bit of both. Um, I, there's stuff I'm aware of. I, I'm aware of language choice to a certain extent but not overwhelmingly so mm-hmm. because I think kids – need to be stretched in their language. And I think, you know, sort of books are a really good way to do it. Probably more than language choice, I'm, I'm more aware of sentence structure. Mm. So um, if I'm writing for adults, then I will allow myself these dreadfully convoluted sentences with <laughs> lots and lots of internal phrases and clauses and, you know, sort of things like that. With kids, I will keep that more simple. I will mm. keep that simpler, uh, and I won't. I, I won't have those enormously long sentences. And I and I try to be aware of of where a sentence might lose a child who is not such a confident reader. Um, that's probably the main one, um, but also the sort of concepts that you're using. You know, the the level of violence that that is incorporated. Um, there is certainly some violence in my books but it tends to happen off stage Mm. so the kids might see some result of it you know like they might find somebody who's been who's been bashed up or wounded or something like that um but the actual violence tends to happen off stage uh in in the same and by the same token um the because of the age group there are no uh, there are no sexual relationships in my books, mm. um, and I think that that's something that parents of middle grade children are often really thankful for, yeah. uh, because there's so much around for kids who are ostensibly middle grade but who are maybe reading a little bit older, and and you know there's just so much there's so much sex in so many books that mm. I think parents are often really thankful for books that don't have that and for books that just show friendships between boys and girls. Um, so those sorts of things I keep in mind, but mostly I am thinking about telling an exciting story. Yeah.
1: Well, exciting is one thing I wanted to ask you about because obviously pacing in a in a fantasy adventure is quite important, particularly yeah. um, with middle grade. I mean, I know my own son, when I was reading out the first drafts of the Mapmaker Chronicles, was telling me where the boring bits were so that I could yeah. take them out. What are some of the techniques? Oh no, Chuck in a battle, Mum was his, you know, do you about what you need here <laughs> always is always
2: a good idea. Always <laughs> a
1: good idea. Um what are some of the techniques that you use to keep that story rolling along or to slow it down where necessary? And why would you slow it down?
2: Oh, uh keeping talk pacing is a really interesting issue, isn't it? Mm. It's it's so utterly, utterly crucial. And I think that a lot of the time I address it quite intuitively. Yes. So I, I read. I, I don't worry about it when I'm writing the first draft. I just write what I write. Uh, but when I'm reading it back, I will always read aloud. Um, when I was writing Museum of Thieves, I actually went to my local school and read the entire thing over – over a couple of weeks to a class whose, whose teacher w- was really happy about it because the kids gave me feedback and they talked about where they thought it was too slow. But even before they talked about where it was too slow, I could hear it yeah. as I read, you yeah. know, like I could see it in their faces that I was losing them and I could hear what was happening. So reading aloud is a major, major tool for me because I can I can feel myself getting bored. I can feel myself getting, you know, oh, God, this is going too slowly um apart from that um i i think like i said i think i do it intuitively you know does it feel as if it needs to speed up at this place have Mm. at this point have we had too much slow stuff um does does it feel as if the story is dragging me along or is it getting soggy? Mm. Uh, you, you just have to keep asking yourself those questions. And the second part of your question: Why would you want to slow something down, and how would you do it? Um, I think of it a bit into when I'm trying to explain it to kids in workshops. I talk about it in terms of of film, in terms of close ups and long shot, yeah. uh, and how if you're if you've got a really important uh, a really important scene, uh, you might go in for a real close-up on this person's face and and they might be talking about something that's really important to them, um, something that they love and something that's very tender to them. But then you might pull back and you might see a whole sequence, you know, shot after shot after shot, uh, where a whole lot of things happen very quickly. And I think we do the same with our writing. Yeah. Um, but we also, uh, and I think it's sometimes quite a hard concept for kids to grasp. When something really exciting is happening, we actually tend, we actually need to slow down. Yeah. Um, so, because uh, kids tend to write, uh, you know, I was walking down the street, there was an explosion, bang, everyone died. <laughs> um, I've and, seen adults um, write
1: like that yeah. too, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i know and i'm trying to explain to them no 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 this is this is such an important moment you want to draw it out you want to you want to explain, you know. I was walking down the street. I, I could smell. Someone nearby was smelling pizza. Um, a, a dog ran past me. I thought I heard somebody on my right. I heard footsteps. Suddenly, this sound, you know. And so you're drawing it out. You're you're pulling out every moment of this thing, almost as if the whole thing has gone into slow motion, yeah. as if you're as if you're seeing an explosion in slow motion. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I, I love that. I love writing that stuff where you're you're picking apart a moment of extreme action and showing every little bit of it. Uh, and and that's that's such fun to do. and I think it's it's fun to read, too, and it's fun to write. Um so those are the bits that you slow down, which is almost counterintuitive. You know this is a big exciting moment, uh, but you actually slow it down so that it lasts longer, and the person who's reading it, becomes immersed in it
1: very true yes I'm, I'm nodding along here and and, <laughs> and hope it's you know it's a great it's a really great explanation though because pacing is such a difficult thing to define and it's a very difficult thing to um explain you know to new to new authors um so I think it
2: you've is, done a, yes, a terrific because, job because, there yes and because there is that automatic assumption that um, because something exciting is happening, we will speed up and this will happen really quickly. Yeah. And it's, it's almost counterintuitive that you do the opposite of that. True. And the speeded up bits are, you know, um, a week later we went to, you know, that's the bit you speed up because nothing happened yeah. during that week.
1: Yeah. All right. Now, let's talk, speaking of exciting, let's talk about your new book, A Clue for Clara. Um, tell us a bit about the book.
2: Oh look, this this is this is currently my favourite book. You know, when I go into schools and I'm sure kids do this to you too, they always say, What's your favourite book that you've oh, written? Every time. And yeah, and I always say, It's the book I just finished writing because I'm still I'm still caught up in that world. I'm still in love with those characters, you know. So currently I am totally in love with Clara. Clara is a chook.
1: that's a a chicken for anyone you know we do have quite a lot of international listeners so just in case that's a chicken.
2: (laughs) Clara is a chicken um she she is a chicken she is small and she is scruffy and all her sisters and aunts and cousins are big and glossy and beautiful and so Clara gets bullied quite dreadfully and um and she has decided that the only way to stop being bullied is to become famous, because she knows she's never going to be big and beautiful. She knows she's never going to be glossy like her sisters, so she decides that. Um, oh, and she escapes into the farmhouse. This this is her way of getting away from the bullying is to escape into the farmhouse, and she ends up watching television quite a lot uh, with one of the with her the the farmers grandson digby and her favorite shows are television shows so pretty much everything she knows about humans she has learned from television from these two detective shows on television so she decides that she's going to be a detective she's going to be a famous detective and have her own tv show and then she will be famous and all the other chooks will love her and they will stop bullying her and they'll let her up on on the same perch on winter's night so that she won't be cold and shivery on the bottom perch by herself. So basically the book is how she sets about becoming a detective uh, and she teams up with the daughter of the local policeman who has her own troubles and they set out to solve a major crime that is currently troubling the town of Little Dismal, which is a, a small country town. Right. And. Um, <laughs> It's, it's completely different from anything I've ever really written is. before. It's, how, it's,
1: how did you come up with the idea of a chicken as a detective?
2: Oh, look, um, I'm not sure how I came up with the idea of a chicken as a detective, but I had been thinking, I'd been thinking, I got to the point where I didn't want to write another trilogy uh, and that was partly because trilogies take so long. Mm. And when I was writing The Rogues, Um, I mean don't get me wrong I love the trilogy form and I love the fact that you can develop your characters so much over that over those three books and you can go you have this individual arc for each book and yet you have this over overreaching arc for the three books and that is a delight you know I love playing with structure and I love seeing what happens to the characters over that long period but at the same time When I was writing The Rogues, I kept having all these ideas for other books I wanted to write, and it was two years, three years before I could start them. And I found that really frustrating. So I thought, okay, next thing I write is going to be a standalone so that I don't have that long wait until I can get onto something else. I was also really conscious of the fact that my books are fairly long. They're about 60,000 words each. And while that is fine for kids who are – confident readers and kids like I was who like to immerse themselves in a story, there are an awful lot of kids out there who will look at a book that long and go, oh, no, that's way too long. I can't even start it. You mm. know, it's just yeah. just intimidating. So I wanted to write something smaller and a little bit easier and a little bit more accessible for those kids who, for whom my other books were, were, were too long. So my publishers actually said to me, look, we love – we love the way you write about animals because I always have an animal in my mm. books. It's just something that's that's part of my books. And uh, they said, we'd love it if you'd write something with an, an, from an animal's point of view. <clears throat> so that, that kind of started the thinking. And in the rogues, there was a chook, a chicken, in the rogues, except she wasn't really a chicken. She was really an ancient sorceress who'd got caught up in one of her own spells and forgotten who she was. But she was enormous fun to write. She was because she was she had this chicken mind and every now and again sort of she'd realised there was something else going on and she couldn't work out what it was. But so it was this chicken trying to work out why she had these other impulses. And that was that was tremendous fun to write. So I started thinking, okay, maybe a chicken. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I don't know where the wants to be a detective came from, but as soon as you know, it was one of those ideas. You you get an idea like that, and you think, oh, for heaven's sake, yes, of course, Let's just that have would... we go at that. <laughs> the hard part, the hard part was finding the voice. Well, uh, I was going to
1: ask you that. What are some of the yeah. challenges in writing from the point of view of a chicken?
2: The 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 hardest part was working out what her voice was like and what the voice of the book was going to be, and I and and in in fact, I actually put the book aside several times and started work on something else because i just could not find the right way into the book um and i I tried writing it from clara's point of view i tried writing it from the point of view of olive the policeman's daughter and then suddenly i i just hit on it quite accidentally uh and i thought a diary Mm. clara the chicken keeps a diary and um (laughs) <laughs> and and it made so much sense, you know, that this ambitious, smart little chook would. She she had all she's got all these skills, you know, because of because of what she's learned from television. She's she's taught herself Morse code. She's taught herself semaphore. She's in the process of learning Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know, she's really serious about this detective stuff. Um, <laughs> and she's taught herself to tell the time, and so she keeps a diary. And once I had that. Uh, which made it possible to break the day up into these short segments mm. uh, and and made it possible for her to narrate her day, then that was when I found it. And, and once I had that, then so much of it fell into place.
1: Was the voice the most challenging aspect of, because you, you've written sort of a, a traditional detective story, so to speak, but with a very non-traditional detective. Yeah. So the voice was the, the biggest challenge in that?
2: I think the voice was the biggest challenge. Um, originally I was going to do the whole thing from Clara's point of view and I actually sent that I had I had about the first, oh, probably the first 10,000 words and I sent it to my agent to, to say, you know, look, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going, what do you think? And she loved it and she sent it to my publisher at Allen & Unwin to see what she thought and she loved it but she also said, look, I'm not sure that it will sustain for a whole book. You might need to bring in Olive's voice as well, mm. uh, the policeman's daughter. And and I got that feedback, and I thought, nah, no, <laughs> no, she's wrong. No, of course I won't. And I got about a third of the way through the book, and I thought, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> going
1: to yeah, need Olive now.
2: <laughs> actually, actually, I need Olive now, and she was completely right. Um, <clears throat> as they usually, as publishers and editors do. As they do often are, think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so um, I, I got to the point where I thought, yes, uh, that that diary form has held up till now and now we actually need to hear from Olive. And so I started Olive writing letters uh, and Olive's mum died a year ago and she and her father have just not been functioning at all well. So I started Olive writing. She, she kind of didn't know whether she wanted to write a diary, but her teachers told her that, you know, it might be good to write a letter or a diary or something. So she starts writing letters to her mother who has died, uh, and that just made this really beautiful counterpoint to to Clara's diary entries. You know, mm. so you, you've got both of these both of these lonely people and both of these people who have been bullied, and both of these people who are desperately trying to find friendship. Uh, and yet, coming at it from really different angles, and and it was this, and it was a really lovely combination. I, I think, I think it ended up being the gentlest book I've ever written, and probably the kindest-hearted book I've ever written. Which, which end, and certainly the funniest book I've ever written. <laughs> and all those things, all those things, were completely accidental in terms of timing, and yet they turned out to be just the right thing for this year. Yeah, definitely. No, it was was completely and utterly the right book to bring out in terms of at a time of coronavirus, which which was a lovely, lovely serendipitous thing to happen.
1: Well, speaking of of bringing out a book, you know, in coronavirus, what sorts of things are you doing to promote your books and have you had to kind of switch gears this year at
2: all? Oh, heavens, yes, yes. Yes. I've, I've had to switch gears. Oh, I mean, I think we've all had to switch gears a lot uh, and, and talking to people online through podcasts like this one, doing online interviews, video interviews and all that sort of stuff have become just so important. And, and I, I don't think they they, don't, they can't fill in for face-to-face contact. Uh, I, I think that one of the biggest tools in an author's armoury Is school visits Mm. uh, because you've got you've got an hour to get kids excited both about writing and reading, but also about your book. Mm. and And if you entertain kids for an hour, and if you can do that successfully, then they are going to go away wanting to read your work. Mm. So, and and I think that you know, sort of any time you do school visits, it's just gives your book a really big boost. So that has been impossible for me up until the last few weeks. And I actually did i a, a – ta- I'm in Tasmania and we're, we've we been opening up a, quite a bit because we've, we've had no cases of coronavirus down here for ages. And um, the moat is closed and the drawbridge is still f- firmly up yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, so schools have been opening up and, and having school visits again, and I've done a couple of those, which was a lot of fun. But – haven't been able to get to the mainland, of course, and that's that's another big thing. So, mm. yeah, it's 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 doing whatever you can and and trying to trying to get publicity any way that you can, which which is I think I don't think there are many authors that adore this side of it. No, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I think so many of us are much more comfortable um, with the actual writing than with the promotion. Mm. Uh and and so it's 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 a bit of a struggle. I did manage to have an in person book launch uh, a, a week ago, and that was absolutely delightful. That that was such fun. We had it in a bookshop, and we had real human beings in there, and um, and we had somebody who played Clara, which was hilarious, <laughs> uh, and um, and that that was wonderful. But yes, I mean I'm I think I'm in the same situation as everybody else at the moment, where we are doing what we can. We're peddling hard, trying to trying to give our books the love and the support they deserve and so just true. hoping some of it sticks
1: so true well thank you so much for your time today Leon. it's been absolutely delightful talking to you thank you for your insights on all of those various um things now we're going to finish up with the final question that we ask yeah. all of our you know sacrifices um what are, <laughs> <laughs> what are your top three tips for writers
2: okay uh Look, I, I would say just before I get to my three, I would say the usual read, 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 write, write, write. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody says these and they are, they are at the base of everything. You, you, unless you do those things, it's no point doing anything else. So sort of that's like, you know, uh, if you want to be healthy, stop smoking. Yeah. That, that kind of lies underlies everything. Yeah. So but apart from that, as well as reading and writing, you, you have to actually go out and live your life because you have to have stuff to write about and to have stuff to write about you have to you have to be watching people and observing things and experiencing things and and understanding what it's like to be heartbroken and understanding what it's like to be terrified and understanding what it's like to be filled with joy so You have to be living your life and observing yourself both outside and inside and observing other people. So that's the first one. Um, The second one is I think it's really important to find ways of measuring yourself against the world and against what other people are doing. So it's, it's fine if you've never had anything published. It's fine to be sitting at home writing a novel. But if you don't know where that novel fits in terms of quality, you're going to be spending however many years writing it and it might come to nothing, you know. And so it's really important, I think, to be writing other stuff as well. It might be a short story. It might be an article for a newspaper or an article for online, something that you actually have a chance in the short term of getting published or getting judged or you know entering competitions that provide feedback so that if you get shortlisted or if you get good feedback or if you get bad feedback you can start to get a sense of where your work sits in the world Mm. um and once you start to get that sense then you can start to work on it you know you can say okay i'm not too good at characters or i'm not too good at pace or all that sort of stuff and you can and it might be buying credit you know you might be buying a a report from a credible organization or something like that on your work but but finding some way of, of working out uh, so you need to be working on your on your skills all the time but at the same time finding out where you sit in the world and compared compared with other people so that's the second one the third one is learning to take criticism and it's absolutely crucial mm. uh, you, you know you can if somebody gives you criticism you don't always need to take it but you do need to think about it seriously yeah. uh, and you can go through that initial thing which I always go through of they don't know what they're talking about. They're mad. They obviously didn't read what I gave them. Um, but then you have to sit down and say, okay, what did they say and and does it apply to my work and actually look very seriously at what they said and, and try and improve your work in, in the light of what they said. So true. It usually
1: takes me about three days to get to that point.
2: I have to oh, read yes. it,
1: put it aside, yep. fume, cry. Swear a lot. Swear. <laughs> stomp about carry on like the yep. pork chop and then about 72 hours later I can sit down with it and actually look at what they actually wrote as opposed yeah. to what I you know immediately thought they'd written so yeah exactly.
2: interesting it's really it's, it's an so interesting hard, process it? it is but All you right. have to if you, yeah if you're serious about your writing you have to learn to do it you
1: do so true all right, well, thank you so much, Leanne. and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Best of luck with Clara. I think she's going to take the middle grade world by storm, um, and I look forward to seeing, you know, what, what you do next.
2: Thanks so much, Alison. It was absolutely lovely to talk to you.
1: There we go! What a great chat. That's cool. I know, like it's cool. an interesting thing, like coming to grips with the voice of a chicken. Yeah, uh, is <laughs> an interesting thing. But she's, I like, I love the fact that, you know, it is an unusual idea. She's pulled it off. Like it's the the diary format of the of the story is is highly entertaining and it's very funny. And the the mm. voices are quite different. And mm. yeah, it's like I'm I'm always entertained when somebody like takes a like, that's a random idea. Like, let's have a chicken that's a detective that watches television and, you know, gets <laughs> gets all her vocab from TV, um, mm. you know. And I just thought, you know, I love the fact that it's, you know, she's had a crack at it. See what I did there? And it works yeah. really well. Let's make egg jokes God. forever. It's excellent. Um, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Oh I'm God, stopping. That I'm, that really, I'm really scratching at the bottom of the barrel now. Oh, oh. Stop! Nice. Somebody stop me!
0: Yeah, let's stop! Oh yeah. my god! All right, so we're almost at the end of this week's uh, episode. What are you doing in the coming week? <laughs> I'm just gonna make up chicken jokes.
1: <laughs> oh no! Nice. rest of the week? Uh, no, I've mm. got I've got like d- minutes before school finishes, oh, um, yeah. so I'm pretty pretty excited about that. I I am you know just about made my last Vegemite sandwich for the year. Can we just like school lunches? Oh, honestly. Mm. How many years of school lunches have I been making now? Like 13, 12, 12, 12 years of school lunches. And I cannot tell you how incredibly dull the whole process is. Yes. But anyway. Yes.
0: You should. You, you know what my dad did for school lunches? Like it was not onerous for him. <laughs> he used to, at the start of every month, and also because our neighbours worked
1: oh, for tip- you tell me that you freeze sandwiches.
0: Yeah. But you should no. hear, like
1: he, our neighbours worked for tip-top. Yeah, know, um, But so, we had this conversation. I really? spent my life. We have talked about this. I'm sure we have. I have a soapbox moment about frozen sandwiches. <laughs> I'm because, not suggesting you do it. Oh no. Okay, <laughs> I just, took I took frozen sandwiches to work uh, to school. Like yes. And I will never do it to my children because it was yes. just awful.
0: It was horrendous. I know. Awful. I know. Yeah. He would make all the whole months in one go, and you it know. was always. That's why to this day I don't eat ham. Because they were always uh, ham sandwiches.
1: Frozen ham sandwiches? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Look, I'm just – Every yeah, day. Like, let's not talk about that anymore. I'm, I'm done with right. that yeah. whole conversation. What are you doing that this week? I going through trauma. Oh, I am. I'm seriously <laughs> I'm having flashbacks here. It's not good. PTSD oh. right now.
0: Well, I need to do some Christmas shopping because I usually leave it, like, way too late. Mm. Um. So I'm hoping to get it done a little bit earlier than normal because I don't really want to brave the crowds or
1: anything like that.
0: So I might be doing that. Hopefully I'll be successful. We'll see how to we be, go.
1: To be honest with you, I think from what the conversations I've had with my local shops, um, mm. a lot of people are doing it early and it's mm. not a bad thing to do because sure. like even if you have a look at the online book retailers, a lot of them are out of stock already yeah. of a whole bunch of stuff because – They can't get reprints, you know, particularly overseas things. Like I think anything that prints in Australia is probably okay. Um, But, you know, stock-wise they are in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: My local bookshops doing this thing because, you know, you can't have a certain number of people uh, because of social distancing. So they're opening in the evenings and you pay like I don't know how much, a token amount, which comes off your – shopping um and you get to browse with champagne like that's pretty good isn't it
1: well that sounds you know civilized, civilized. Mm. yeah mm. but um, you have to book in um all right i think we Fabulous. should organize i think we need to organize next year like when we can we need a mm. meet up or something i feel like we just need yeah. to kind of you know reconnect Without with, people, yeah, don't people, you think? With I a glass, I'm, I'm only I'm inspired by the glass of champagne idea. <laughs> <like that.
0: laughs> yes, <laughs> go anywhere with a drink. All right, fantastic. <laughs> uh, where do we find me online now?
1: You'll find me at alisontait.com, dot tcom You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate a l t a i t, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at alison tate writer. And you Val, where do we find you?
0: You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes over at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.